Welcome to Disney A History, a podcast where we discuss the history of different Disney characters and their impact on pop culture throughout the ages. My name is Lauren, and along with my co-host Abby, we thank you for joining us on this magical adventure. On this episode of Disney A History, we will be discussing Jasmine. We will cover her original fairy tale, the Disney adaptation, and finally, her impact on pop culture. So Jasmine has a, hmm, how do I say this? An interesting history. (laughs) It's slightly lackluster, but it is interesting. As you know, Jasmine is in the movie Aladdin, and she's also in the tales where she's not the main character. So her history is a little awkward to cover because it's mostly not about her. (laughs) But since she's in the official Disney princess lineup, we're adding her in anyway. So congrats, Jasmine. You made the cut. (laughs) Yeah, so Jasmine was in the stories, but it definitely wasn't around her. She was just kind of there for most of it but the way that the story kind of sets off is with the 1001 arabian nights and in this story the king didn't really trust women it would kill off his wife every night so after about 3,000 deaths it got to this woman named i'm not gonna say this right sherazad maybe well she it was her turn to marry the king and she was like i don't want to die so Her plan was to tell him a story every night before he went to bed because he would wake up and then kill the queen. He, but she didn't want that to happen. She would end her story in a cliffhanger. And she did this for a thousand and one nights, which is why it's a thousand and one Arabian nights. They collected all the stories and made a book out of it. And you could say that that is Jasmine to like spice up the episode, but no proof whether she was or wasn't Jasmine. Right. She didn't, like, we don't know if she wrote or, like, thought of the stories as her and the king or if she just made up a completely new character, which I would lean more towards she just made up some characters. Yeah, but um, at least, like, the summaries I've read of the stories, a lot of them were about women who are kind of, like, in Jasmine's position. So I could see where you could stretch it to be Jasmine, but I definitely think it was just making up stories to keep herself alive if it is a real person right it's like a narrator within a narrator yeah it's it's a bizarre thing like if she's fictional whoever wrote this wrote a character that wrote stories (laughs) story inception but then this story didn't actually like this collection of stories didn't have anything to do with aladdin really but when they started translating it into other languages one of the translators started adding more stories to it, and one of those stories was the story of Aladdin. So that also kind of makes it seem like it's not really Jasmine, because mm-hmm. she never told the story of Aladdin and Jasmine. Right. It's all speculation. No one knows. And it's so old. Yeah. I mean, everything was by word of mouth, which is why they had to eventually write it down and translate it to other languages. So the first printed Arabic language edition of 1001 Nights was published in 1775, but these stories were told before then. Right. And then our version of Aladdin uh, is called Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp, and that came out in 1889. So quite a while difference. But uh, for Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp, 
this story takes place in China, actually. So not where you think it would take place. But the stories were being told there because of the Thousand and One Nights in the, the Disney version. And, like, the names aren't fully Chinese either, so who really knows? But the story says it's in China. Jasmine's name in this version is Badrolador. Also wrong. Definitely wrong. <laughs> look it up and look at it yourself. Hopefully you can say it better than me. The really interesting thing about this story is that Aladdin doesn't just live on the streets. He lives with his parents. And then his dad dies from embarrassment because Aladdin was such a bum. The mother's embarrassed of him too, but not enough to die over it. <laughs> and then one day they meet their fake uncle. And definitely from the father's side because the mother didn't realize that this guy was not their uncle. Oh like, my gosh. It's fake Pietro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pietro. No one notices that they're totally different people. <laughs> it all comes around. But uh, this fake uncle is actually an African magician and gives Aladdin a magical ring, sends him into the trap door, which is like the Cape of Wonders, and tells him exactly how to pass all the booby traps. And Aladdin does all this perfectly, grabs the magic oil lamp, gets up to the trap door, and says, help me up. The fake Jafar, fake uncle, African magician says, no, hand me the lamp and then I'll help you up. Even though Aladdin's a bum, he's not totally stupid and says, no, you need to help me up first. So then he gets trapped there and accidentally rubs his ring when he's trying to work his mind around how to get out. Then he can wish himself out because a genie appeared. The genie like appears him at his home just randomly. The mother doesn't get scared by this. It's just like, oh, you're home. Then he shows her how he got home. And that's when she got scared and like passes out because <laughs> like he gave her the magic lamp, which activated it. It's an even uglier, more powerful genie. So she's passed out. He orders dinner from the genie and it arrives on silver plates. She wakes up and she's like, why is there food here? We didn't go get any. He's like, yeah, I just wished for it. And she's like, return this thing. It's going to ruin us. And he's like, how? We have silver plates. Let's go sell them. And then she's like, well, we do need money. And they end up selling the plates. So now they're kind of rich, not fully rich, just enough to like not be poor. The next day, the sultan sends out a message saying, uh, please don't go in the streets from this time to this time. Princess Jasmine's going to be going to the bathhouse, and I want everyone to respect her privacy. And that's not what happened. He escapes out of his house and follows her to the bathhouse, and peeping Tom's on her while she's doing her thing. It's like, wow, I want to marry her. Then uses the money from the silver plates and gives it to his mom and asks her to go to the sultan and ask for his hand in marriage to the princess, which his mom does. And the sultan's like, okay. But then the advisor says to wait because he wants his son to marry the princess and so the sultan allows that keep him the money and yeah great great king there <laughs> but then when aladdin finds out that she's married he is an even bigger creep than the creepiness before because he has the genie bring jasmine and the new king future king prince to his house the prince has to sleep outside in the street and can't come inside or like get help from anyone and jasmine is stuck in aladdin's bed the total stranger next to her and is forced to endure the whole night before they magically transport back and neither of them are able to sleep the whole time so they're like in a tortured existence so after the first few days the prince is like i can't handle this anymore it's not worth it i'm out 
piece the aladdin swoops in is like i need the princess again remember the promise and the sultan tells them that they need to prove their worth because now they look poor and he's not too sure about the situation and the quote from the story is that he asked for uh, the son, Aladdin, to send him 40 basins of gold brimming with jewels carried by 40 black slaves led by as many white ones splendidly dressed. Which is very specific and is what inspired the scene in the Disney version of the movie, the little parade thing where they throw money. And then Aladdin ends up like doing this with the help of the genie. And the sultan's impressed and says, yeah, you can marry my daughter. And then Aladdin starts playing games with the guy, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't even have a castle yet. Let me build her castle and take a bath. I'll come back tomorrow, and then I'll take the princess. So the sultan's like, okay, but leave the money and the slaves. So Aladdin goes, builds the castle, except for a window, and then comes back and collects Jasmine, and the sultan comes to visit. He's like, why is there a window missing? And Aladdin's being a schmoozer and says oh i left it for you so you could say that you finished our wonderful palace and the sultan's like oh ho ho i get to be the person who finishes the final design and starts making a like a list of all the jewels he wants gets them sent to the palace and they start putting it in the window and it's not enough he doesn't have enough gems and then aladdin's like oh well it's okay i'm gonna take care of your daughter and close up this building and secure it I'm gonna send back your gems and I'll just use my own and has a genie put in a new window. So great guy getting the approval of the father and Jasmine's just here like, oh, well, I know that you like creeped me out for all those nights, but you're kind of cute and now you're rich. So I'll stay. Sure. Why not? But then since he's doing so well and he's winning the hearts of all the kingdom because of how the sultan likes them they have really no choice but to like them word gets back to the african magician and he's like whoa 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 the only way that's possible is if he still has my lamp and he learned how to activate it so he goes back by and like is in the disguise and tricks jasmine while aladdin is away on a trip into giving him all the oil lamps so that he can replace them and then he it's like ha 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 I won, but he made the mistake of taking Jasmine in the castle and moving it to play a trick on Aladdin. So when Aladdin got back, he was arrested immediately because the Sultan can look out his window and see the castle's gone. And Aladdin's like, what's going on? Like, what do you mean Jasmine's not at the castle? And he's allowed 40 days to look for the princess. Then he remembers that he has the ring, so he rubs it, and that's how he finds Jasmine. And because of this trick, he ends up trying to get back at the magician and poisons him. And it does work jasmine's able to trick him so now aladdin's being a great role model and having jasmine murder someone because of this like now she's a murderer but on top of that the magician's brother's like how the heck can you just kill my brother and not expect anything to happen so the magician's brother dresses up like a woman like a little watchmaid or something i don't know the exact role something in the castle that they like is a holy position and she he is like taking care of them and is going in for the kill but aladdin finds out about the trick because the genie's just like fed up with all this wishing and how they're ungrateful about it because he's like no no no, i'm not granting this last wish i'm out and just so you know you're gonna die because you're so stupid and let this guy in who's tricking you and have a great life if you live so aladdin is able to kill him and they live happily ever after woohoo both of them are really mm -hmm. bad examples in this story just not good role models skipping ahead on that question that time you're never ready for that question <laughs> i am today yeah so there's another version that i read or researched i didn't really read it 
just to be honest. (laughs) It was Jasmine was married to someone else like this one, but to divorce because or the the guy that divorced her like gave her they didn't call it a divorce, but like unmarried her. But he wanted to remarry her and he used Aladdin because she had to consummate with another person. And they used Aladdin to do that. And then like she remarried the other person. (laughs) So bizarre. Yeah, um, I don't think either of these stories are as good as Disney's. (laughs) No, yeah. Not to mention just the raw, her not even being involved that much. (laughs) Yeah, she's kind of the object of their affections, but she's not really the star of the show. So sorry, girl, you got gypped. (laughs) Yeah, she got gypped on all rounds of the history side. Yeah, bless her heart. (laughs) Uh, There's also like um, in the original books, they're very rated R, <laughs> maybe even X-rated, if you catch my drift. They're not family-friendly. <laughs> so the writers that wrote, that rewrote it for the Disney production, they had to do a lot. They used a lot of the same motifs and tropes, <laughs> I guess you could say, and then used them in their film. <laughs> it definitely made Aladdin more admirable and less murdery. And less creepy. Yes. Like, they had to work a lot on his character. And then they didn't do, like, too much to Jasmine. She was still just kind of an object in that movie, too. Yeah. I mean, she was was definitely more spicy. Yeah. And she was trying to fight for her rights. So that's, that's good. She, they were trying to make make them more modern, which, since we're talking about it now, let's go ahead and transition into our Disney section. All right, so now we can talk about some of the plot differences from the original history and the Disney animated feature film. Feature film. (laughs) Feature film. Hi, I'm from Texas. How are you? (laughs) It sneaks out occasionally. (laughs) I don't think anyone can tell where you're from. (laughs) Well, not with my podcast voice. (laughs) So one thing that really stood out to me for differences was that in the Disney version, the genie only had three wishes to give Aladdin, but in the original, Aladdin just wished for things willy-nilly with basically no rules, and the genie didn't try to trick him or anything, just kept on doing it until he got mad at him. Yes, and that was a trope that goes back a long, 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 long time. So I remember when I was younger, and I, I still love I Dream a Genie, but when I was younger, I would watch I Dream a Genie on like Nick at Night, on TV Land or whatever, and I remember there was a few episodes with another genie character but it was called the Jinjin, and he was like a trickster genie so it's a trope that goes back a long time and they just kind of integrated it into aladdin so you had to be careful on how you worded your wishes yeah but we definitely didn't see that in either of these stories but i did like how they brought that up in the new one the live action they had aladdin which be a uh, like a prince the genie was like whoa, whoa before we do this for real before you rub the lamp let's talk about how you're phrasing things because when you say you want a prince i can just snap my fingers and have a prince appear and it's going over how he needs to choose wisely his words so i do like how they brought that back the little trope but not like specifically went into it because they never really brought it up again right Another difference that stood out to me when researching the history versus Disney's uh, Disney's interpretation is that Jafar, he had a son and then they kind of, they got rid of him, gave him Iago, and then 
integrated the uncle into Jafar. So, like, Jafar, like, wielded magic because he had his little, like, snake scepter thing. And then he also had, you know, whatever secret room in the palace that <laughs> Iago was running track in. <laughs> But I also wonder, like, what would it, what, what would Disney's version look like if they would have kept the son, if they would have kept Iago too, or if they would have had to cut Iago, would Gilbert Gottfried have played the son? <laughs> like, that would have been interesting. <laughs> but like, I feel like they cut out the character of the son and combined the advisor and the magician, fake uncle, because there's just too many people to keep track of. And where this is aimed as a family movie, they wanted it to be able to be followed by kids, too. They didn't want them to get lost in how many people there were and keep them right. all straight. Yeah. Because, you know, they just saw a movie with a crap ton of dishes that yeah. didn't really make sense. <laughs> Especially where uh, Mrs. Potts had those, all those kids and it's like, we didn't, need another. <laughs> we didn't need another like that. They where did they come from? Where did they go? Where did they come from? But I think it also helped the story because where they got rid of the sun, they turned Jafar into everyone. So they had <laughs> him trying to get to be the princess's like husband. Suitor, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it makes a better story, even if it does add a creepy element because of the age difference. Yeah, it makes him a more compelling villain to have that many roles. Yeah. Since he's also the one to trick Aladdin to go into the Cave of Wonders and all that jazz. And it's like, yeah, as kids, we'd probably still root for Aladdin. But if we did have the son of the advisor in there, what if we wanted to root for him instead? So by making it this creepy older guy, they guaranteed that we didn't want him to end up with Jasmine. Yeah. Really fleshes out the storyline. Another big difference is that the the bad guy Jafar or the magician in either story, they never made Jasmine disappear. Where like the original, he made the castle and Jasmine moved to a whole different place that Aladdin had to come and find. They never really did that. They just made Jasmine, uh, they captured her and put her into a time glass. Yeah, but he banished Aladdin and then like, yeah. the tower rolled over him and... You know, that whole scene where he saves himself by sitting in the place where the window's going to hit. I thought that was so genius when I was a kid. I was like, dang, Aladdin's smart, man. <laughs> but they banished the wrong person, according to history. Right, according to history. Yeah, Jasmine doesn't get much, but they, they took that one thing away from her. No, the, her being stuck in the hourglass was interesting. Yeah, it's very memorable. To... And then the costume change with that, like, the red instead of the tealy color really stands out. Yeah, character designs. <laughs> Oof. It's a little risque looking, but like... Girl, I, don't you know it. I like the color switch. I like how she got a totally different palette. Yeah, it's very awkward. I saw recently on Reddit, I think it was, a side-by-side -side of Jasmine and Moana and how they're like the same age. <laughs> but they're, and, and someone commented, they were like, oh my gosh, it's almost like there's no such thing as body types. But the difference between Jasmine and Moana is insane. Like, ew. <laughs> ew. It just gave me the creeps that they drew this, that they drew Jasmine like that. I mean, if Jasmine was real, she would have had a few ribs removed to get that skinny. Right. And when I was researching, like, the character design, they said they wanted, like, dramatic shapes and stuff for all the characters. So they weren't trying to make her realistic and they weren't trying to make her like an idolized feminine form. 
It's just they wanted something dramatic. So it, it, it wasn't that deep, but it's still kind of creepy. I mean, I get the vibes of, like, Ariel, too, how, like, her waist was very skinny and she was lacking clothes, too. <laughs> so it's not, like, the first time they've done this. Right. But uh, for a different a difference that I noticed was that in the original, Aladdin was such an embarrassment that his mom was ashamed of him and the dad died because of it. But in Disney's version, they were like, ah, just get rid of them both. And then in the sequel, they were like, ah, maybe get one of them back. <laughs> Let's bring the father back. And I just thought that was like kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely strange. Especially since he was the one that like officially died in the original. Yeah. <laughs> like okay disney go off with your bad self <laughs> but uh another thing we need to talk about is that like in the sultan in the original he's not really mentioned but in the disney version he gets a lot more like a lot more say in the movie and i mean he's also kind of like out of it a bit but the <laughs> the age difference between jasmine and him looks very very wide right yeah we can talk about the possibility of Jasmine's mom's age compared yeah. to the Sultan's white hair and mustache. Which would explain like how the original, I got the vibes that the advisor's son was kind of like around the same age and Aladdin was the same age as her. But in the Disney version, Jafar and him, the Sultan, were both very much different ages. But if you think about how the Sultan was probably older than the wife by significant years, and that led to Jasmine, then it would make sense that Jasmine would be married off to a much older guy. Right. It's just what the Sultan knows. Yeah. And back in, like, the 30s through kind of the 60s in old Hollywood films, they would have the leading lady be much younger than her leading man partner thing. Yeah. Yeah, they want a young woman, but they want someone that's old for the male. It's yeah, like, I mean, the idea goes back to, like, you want someone that can provide for her. Because, like, someone her age isn't necessarily ready to provide for a family. And you just want someone well-established. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, like, for film, it makes a lot of sense because some younger men aren't able to, like, look manly yet. Because, like, guys take a lot longer to fully mature. So, Girl, you, you know, I just learned what the phrase tall, dark, and handsome means. It doesn't mean tall, dark, and handsome? No. It means tall and handsome, but the dark refers to someone that had blonde hair as a child, and eventually when their hair turns to brunette is when they got dark. Oh. So they've, like, aged the appropriate age to woo a lady. <laughs> that makes sense. I, my mind was blown. I was like, shut up. But how, like, Western is yeah. that thought? Because, like, blonde isn't that common of a hair color around the globe. So. But back to Aladdin and Jasmine, I feel like on stage in film, you want someone that's older because they're going to have the fully mature body and voice and facial hair. Whereas, like, a 16-year-old princess face up against a 16 year old guy he might be able to portray that but he might still look a little bit on the younger side and they want someone who's like fully like portraying the manly vibes so i get it for like tv and stuff but this is just a story they didn't have to make the age difference like that much for a cartoon they could have just drawn a kid with facial hair 
So now we can talk about kind of the um, the character design. So Jeannie was inspired by the 1940s film The Thief of Baghdad and also the letter S. Today's episode is sponsored by the letter S because they wanted it to resemble smoke and they liked that kind of wispy movement of Jeannie's tail, so to speak. And it makes a lot of sense to make him like smoky-like because he's an all-powerful being. So you don't want to make him too solid, like human-y, because then it's like, oh. Like, How would he fit in the in the lamp? Yeah. It just wouldn't make sense. But then you don't want him to just be like see-through. You don't want him to just be like an omnipresent voice because then it's not visually appealing. But if they go with a smoke, you've got that gassy airiness and like a firmness, like you can see it. So it it's able to be visualized by kids, but also makes sense about how it fits into a bottle and not be boring. Right. And another fun fact about the character is that the opening salesman that we see when he's like, you know, doing his little infomercial type thing was originally supposed to be Genie as a human. But for some reason, they changed it. But they still let Robin Williams do the voice for it. When I was little, I just thought that was like that was supposed to be Genie. Because it was the voice, and he was wearing blue, and he had a red belt on. When I was turned, I don't know, like 11 or 12, I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's Genie, right? And um, apparently not, but people are surprised to learn that originally it was supposed to be. But another fun thing about Genie is that normally, like, they have some animation done before they start doing the voice actors, but because they knew that Robin Williams would, like, just improv a lot of things, and, like... Well, he- that's what they wanted him to do. Yeah, like they want him to do it and they know that he's really good at it from all his comedy and other films. But they couldn't start animating Genie because they didn't know what he was going to say. And they knew that with improv, usually there's a lot of body language and they wanted to get some of that into the character too. So basically all of the Genie's actions and stuff had to be drawn after they've recorded all the voice lines. Yeah, that's complicated. Yeah, (laughs) so I mean like it's... It's done anyways, but it's not as common to have all the lines recorded before doing it. And also this scene at the beginning where he's describing like what all the things that he has to sell are doing. They actually put a bunch of objects in a box with a black cloth over it and gave it to Robin Williams. And he would like blindly pull out an object, do the bit, and like that's exactly what they used. That scene is 100% improv by Robin Williams. And I just... It's the most brilliant thing, like, when you think about it, if you, like, know that going into it. Because it's already funny, but to know that he came up with it on the spot is insane. It makes it, like, that much more powerful of a scene. Yeah. Because normally, normally I would just be like, oh, yeah, that's funny stuff. But now I, like, actively watch it, like, mindfully watch it every time it comes on, that scene. So speaking of actors, one really cool thing I learned from all this research was that the voice of... Aladdin, Scott Weiner, was also C from Full House, which that part I already knew. But what I didn't know was that Scott auditioned for the role, and when they asked him, can you sing, he actually lied about it and said, yes, I can. Then he got the part, then had to tell them, well, actually, I can't sing, but I still really want this role. And they're like, well, you kind of do embody Aladdin because he kind of lied his way to the top. So we'll keep you. Yeah, they liked the way he embodied the cockiness of Aladdin. So they were like, I guess we'll just find someone else to sing the parts. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, because he just really wanted the role. And he already has that like arrogance. Like you can see it on Steve in Full House. 
that mm-hmm. like he definitely does like fit the role like i really like him as the voice of aladdin yeah and then linda larkin she also doesn't do any singing but the way that her story came about is that when she first auditioned it, it wasn't they didn't have a song for jasmine like she wasn't even included as a duet part she was just going to be there. And so like when they hired her, like they knew, I mean, they kind of knew that she couldn't sing. When they asked her, you know, it confirmed it. She was like, not like a Disney princess. <laughs> so they're like, that's okay. Like, I guess they were probably thinking we've already hired somebody to sing for a lot and we'll just hire somebody to sing for you. <laughs> so Leah Salonga and Brad Kane got to do the singing parts for A Whole New World. Which does make it really interesting because before this, they usually had the actors sing the role. Right. They were hiring Broadway stars (laughs) prior to this for um, Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. And then some of the actors from our original princess movies went on to Broadway. So interesting. Definitely. And uh, speaking of A Whole New World, that was a song that went on to win the Grammys for Song of the Year. And it made the Billboard Top 100, whereas Frozen only made the top five, like made it to number five. So mm-hmm. well, people are always arguing about how Frozen or Tangled, which one is better. But according to this stat, Aladdin is on top. <laughs> yeah, I mean, song-wise, sure. <laughs> which is interesting that Part of Your World didn't make it higher than that because that one was, when we talked about it last week, it was like, you know, or not last week, whatever episode (laughs) we're on. (laughs) And we talked about how it was the most iconic princess song, in my opinion. But if you're talking about Prince, then I feel like this is a very iconic song. Like I always sing Aladdin's parts, but that might be because my older sister wanted to be Jasmine. The only time that I choose, well, every time Jasmine sings, I'll sing her part because I like her parts because I'm a soprano, so (laughs) that's how I vibe. But I'm also, you know, singing in my own range when I'm singing with Aladdin. But like the very end parts where like her word changes, she's not just echoing him. She says a wondrous place. That's one of my favorite things. (laughs) I love singing that part i always liked the every moment i read letter because i had no clue what it meant but it sounded nice i was just picturing uh like a birthday card in a red envelope which is totally off base but uh, another fun fact about the studio is that it grossed over 217 million domestically and over 504 million worldwide which is a lot of money and then aladdin became the most successful disney movie until the lion king was released two years later I mean, like, if you want to get into some more details about it, I don't know how interesting (laughs) this is, but when it was released on VHS, it sold over 10.6 million copies from just over 100,000 outlets in its first week and eventually sold over 25 million copies. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm looking through this song to find every moment red letter. What? (laughs) It really does say that. I'm like, I don't remember that part. That was my favorite part. Because I thought it said every moment gets better. Oh, no. It's a red letter. And I had no clue what it meant as a kid. Every moment gets better. Or That's not the tune. But what? Every moment red letter. Do you know what it means now? I know it's not what I know it was then. But like, I don't know what it means now. I've gone. This is today I learned. Today I learned. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no way. I thought it was every moment gets better. It's actually on a list of um, by College Magazine, the 
like modern day Mandela effects of like everything you've been hearing wrong. And number five is every moment gets better. So you heard it the way that a lot of people heard it. But it says that um, Red Letter defines itself as a special opportunity. But what kid would understand that? Girl, I'm <laughs> shook. My whole world is crashing down around me. Still doing research on it? Yeah. Okay, so this says that this is from dictionary.com. The term alludes to the practice of marking feast days and other holy days in a red on a church calendar. Oh, It dates back to the 1400s. That makes sense. So, like, instead of using bold, they just made it red. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still, like... (laughs) I'm sorry, I did I would have written in the notes if I knew it was gonna be this (laughs) hard-hitting. Okay. They say it in the Broadway one. They say gets better on Broadway. I'm justified. (laughs) But that's like not the version that I grew up listening to. But hey, it's somewhere and that makes me happy. Wait, she just. Yeah, that that sounds like Red Letter. She did say Red Letter, but the lyrics on here say gets better. Oh, no, she said Red Letter, man. (gasps) Why, though? Because you said it at first and I was like, Red Letter, that's not in the song. Like, my memory is deceiving me I don't, I don't i've never heard that and then i look it up and my whole life is a lie a lie <laughs> you thought i was making everything up well no i just thought maybe that was one of the things that like you know you heard wrong your whole life and it's like you know, oh poor abby <laughs> no poor me <laughs> poor me <laughs> i'm supposed to be the disney expert in every place and i'm not and this is one of those times where I thought this was just common knowledge that it was red letter. Girl, no. <laughs> okay, we can move on now. So I think now's a good time to transition into our pop culture section, and we'll talk about the different adaptations. All right. So welcome to the pop culture section. Our, the first question we always ask is how many adaptations are there? Well, it gets a little foggy with Aladdin because there's not that many well-known adaptations, but there have been many, many, many stage productions of Aladdin over the years. And then there's also been, of course, Disney's different remakes. And there's been a few comic books and some Japanese mangas made of Aladdin. Definitely the biggest category is going to be the live-action foreign films, which, I mean, people like me aren't going to sit and read a movie but some of them do look good from their cover photos and descriptions. So there's plenty of like musical versions. There's plenty of stage productions and books and stuff. And there's a few different kinds of animations that aren't Disney. So that's pretty interesting. There's also a uh, there's a few games, but they have a super hard Game Boy Advance game, which isn't that hard on their re-release version for like the Switch because now they have like a rewind so you can make it easier. But the original was real hard. Just figured I'd throw that in there because it's it's kind of traumatizing for a kid to not be able to finish their Disney game. (laughs) Yeah. To be able to keep their attention and like not get that satisfaction is tricky. What would you say is your favorite adaptation? Um, considering I haven't seen like that many (laughs) It's probably going to be the original feature-length animated film from Disney. 
but I really, really, really enjoyed the Broadway version and the songs that they added to that. Shout out to my coworker Dallas from the time that we worked the Aladdin show in Dallas when it was rolling through. That was so much fun. And all the coworkers, in case y'all listen to this eventually. Hi guys, I miss you. I deleted group me, but I still love you. <laughs> I think my favorite would definitely be the original too, just because like it's the one my brain goes to when I think of Aladdin. But I also really appreciate the live action and how it fixed up the plot holes like usual. But like my favorite Aladdin scene comes from that movie where Prince Ali Aladdin comes in with his big parade of people and is trying to talk to the Sultan and Jasmine and trying to like work his way to like get in the date but he keeps on putting his foot in his mouth and it was like oh I brought all this jam apricot jam apple jam all these different jams and Will Smith's just going like speed it up guys stop talking about jams <laughs> and then Jasmine's like well, what do you expect to buy with all this jam? You? No, no, no. Not you. A moment with you. Like, it just resonates with me so well about how awkward <laughs> I feel in a lot of situations and seeing it on screen and it just, like, makes me cringe, but in a way that I appreciate. So the song from the Aladdin Broadway musical, the one that my friend Dallas liked a lot was Babkak, Omar, Aladdin, and Kasim. And go listen to it because it is <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> they also use the deleted song from Aladdin in the Broadway musical Proud of Your Boy. They do they did release Proud of Your Boy um as like a bonus scene in like one of the later DVD releases. So I have seen it, but they used the song like as an actual like thing in the musical. So that was really nice that they were able to incorporate that kind of lost song from Howard Ashman. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that they actually like use that song in a real setting. Yeah. Kind of like with Human Again in Beauty and the Beast. They use that in the Broadway show. Yeah. But um, another adaptation I think we should talk about is the adaptation of Twisted, which is by <laughs> um, Star Kid Productions, which you probably know from their other one, their Harry Potter video that I never watched. A very Potter musical, about. yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah, but I definitely want to give Twisted a try because it it's Aladdin told from Jafar's perspective or the Royal Vizier's perspective. So I like didn't know it existed and the poster for it is wicked. But instead of Glinda whispering into Elphaba's ear, it's Iago whispering into Jafar's ear and that just sent me <laughs> done. <laughs> so good. Yeah, this one I actually don't know too much about the plot, but like it's on my list of things I'll probably watch this weekend. Yeah. I didn't have time for it before. But... We just discovered it existed like yeah. 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, so definitely not enough time to watch it before recording, but I do want to see this really badly. It looks yeah. so good. We'll have to like do a live stream or something of us watching it. For sure. For all of our listeners. Thank <laughs> you guys for coming back. <laughs> but um, we already talked about this a little bit, but do you think that Jasmine's a good role model for young girls and boys? In the original? Uh, no. <laughs> Miss. <laughs> no, no. We, we, don't, we don't marry the creepers. And we don't murder. Yeah, that. But then what about uh, Disney's version of Jasmine? I think she is a good 
role model. I mean, she's not like featured that much and like she doesn't really do that much, but she does stand up for herself and she does fight for what she thinks is right. Or not even like what she thinks is right, but like what she wants. And while that might might not always be a good thing because what you want might not be good for you, like Simba wanting to go to the dark shadowy place. That's not good. That was not a good thing to do. But he was also a child. But <laughs> for her to fight for not having to marry a stranger and especially not wanting to marry Jafar, like I have no problem with her standing up for herself in that scenario. I agree with that. I also really like how like it's part of the plot of how she doesn't want to marry just anyone. She wants to like get to know them, which is why she doesn't really care about Prince Ali. She cares about Aladdin. Right. And like I just really like how that's a good role model tribute. Like don't fall for someone based on their looks or what they're telling you like go by what their core is like are they actually a good person yeah so i do think she's a good role model if you look at the newer stuff yes since this is a podcast that's supposed to be talking about jasmine let's talk about what we like and dislike about her and let's just stick to the animated version because we've yeah, we've already the historical, said that we don't. The historical version, she trash. Yeah, we've already written that one off. Yeah, so just our turquoise outfit, Jasmine. How do we feel? Um, well, I think she's definitely very true to herself, so I, I like that about her. Mm-hmm. And then the one thing I don't like is just that like she can be a little annoying in the animated one. <laughs> I like her a little better in the live action one. Oh, okay. Ooh, we didn't talk about the song. Her song Speechless in the live action. Oh, so I good. Love that song. I love that song too. I have it on my like permanent playlist. <laughs> it's a staple. She's the only one with a good voice in the live action, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, you know, I was reading up on her story. She seems like a really nice person. She actually grew up singing in church, and I thought that was really cool. I only know her from Lemonade Mouth. <laughs> was she in that? I, I didn't ever watch that movie. This girl, she was a singer. Naomi. She, yeah, Naomi. She she was the best character because of her voice. And she does actually have the one song I like from Lemonade Melt that I still listen to. <laughs> it's called She's So Gone. And it's all about how, like, in the movie, it's about how her father views her one way and, like, as a child. And she's saying, that girl's gone. I'm growing up now. And you just kind of got to accept me. And it's a powerful song for a kid's movie. <laughs> But, like, she's really talented there, and she's only gotten better. Yeah. And she was in Charlie's Angels, the reboot, which was not well-received, but that released the same year that Aladdin live-action released, so 2019. I haven't seen that one. Or the original Charlie's Angels? Nah, I'm not really. I don't like action movies, so I'm not bothered with watching them. Yeah, not my genre, but I definitely really think that she's talented. Anyway, back to Jasmine. (laughs) She is Jasmine. I like that Jasmine was able to stand up for herself and that she was able to see Aladdin's true character and that she wasn't like superficial about wanting to be with him because he was modeled after Tom Cruise because they wanted him to be super attractive and I'm just like Tom Cruise is what you went with okay <laughs> I don't I don't see the goodness in that but it's fine I guess he's not my type yeah Aladdin's not my uh, favorite looking prince that's for sure I guess I'm I don't I'm not I don't usually have things for animated characters but if I had to choose it would probably be Flynn Rider or Prince Eric <laughs> if you twisted De- my arm. <laughs> Definitely not the beast in human form. Bless his heart. And what we dislike about her, um, 
I don't like, I don't know. I don't think, she, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to like copy your answer, but I also didn't like feel that way about her. So, well, then you just don't dislike anything about her. <laughs> it's not like I don't dislike anything about her. It's just like, I can't think of anything I dislike about her at the moment. <laughs> I think she's cool. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't really dislike her and I don't think she's like that annoying. It was just like, just like the tiny things of like, in some cases, I felt like she could have explained herself better. And it was just annoying me the fact that like, I know she's smart and that she can explain herself well like why didn't she do it right there kind of thing i did like how she caught on to aladdin and then the way she called him out on it i thought was very clever yeah as a child <laughs> it's like how's abu she kind of trapped him and i was like oh my gosh she's like so smart i love that when i was a kid <laughs> Also, I I don't know why I want to talk about it, but I kind of want to talk about like my first memory of watching Aladdin as a child. I don't know how old I was. I was probably three or four because that was the time when my mom cleaned houses. And I had seen Aladdin at one of the places where my mom cleaned houses because the lady was super nice and like she just... She's like, y'all can have like whatever, you know, do whatever. Because she knew my mom was bringing me. And she was like, yeah, we have movies. Like you can watch them. And I would watch Aladdin like almost every time we would go over there. Because we didn't have it. And they also had this huge like oriental rug in one of their rooms. And so after I would watch Aladdin, I would go play on that rug and pretend it was a magic carpet. That's a really cute story. <laughs> I don't think I ever pretended to be Jasmine. But she definitely is my favorite princess to meet in the parks. Mm. Like in Magic Kingdom, she's over in Agrabah. And I just like that section because like it's so immersive. Like I just I feel like I'm there in the movie when I'm mm -hmm. in that section. And then just meeting her, the line isn't usually too bad. And I've always had good interactions with her and Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Whereas I like I don't think I ever met them when I was there. Really? I met them when I went as a helper slash nanny for a family that I would babysat for regularly. And I met her then, but I don't think I met her on my program. I met her at least three times. I just really liked her because I felt like Jasmine always had a good interaction. It wasn't just like a, oh, hi, take a picture, bye. Like, we need to get through this line. It was like an actual, like, genuine reaction and like they would answer like questions and like interact with you if you wanted to whereas mm -hmm. like if you weren't like prepared they would help you out like they were just mm. really good at interactions yeah cinderella was always awkward to me yeah no matter where you met her she was always awkward <laughs> so i don't know if that was because they just didn't train them well enough to i don't know it was like I never had a really good interaction with Cindy. But when you meet Cinderella, I believe you also meet um Elena. Yeah, Elena. And I've never seen Elena like any content of Elena, just her toys in the parks. Mm -hmm. And so like I met her after meeting Cinderella and I was like, to be honest, I don't really know you, but I love your dress. And she was like, Oh my gosh, like thank you so much. And she like actually like told me a very abbreviated story of who she was and which was like really nice because most other princesses don't do that right well I, th I think that she probably knows that <laughs> <laughs> she gets a lot of people that don't know her story yeah because es especially where I'm a 20 something year old meeting her mm -hmm. by myself oh, yeah with no kids yeah, yeah yeah and it's like they put this brand new princess meet and greet next to a classic meet and greet so it's really awkward pairing um yeah 
my favorite characters to meet in the parks are Tiana and Rapunzel, which are right next door to them <laughs> in a different line, but same building. Because they, they always have good interactions. Like I asked Tiana for her gumbo recipe and she was like, oh no, I don't give that away. <laughs> I love both of them too. The only thing I don't like is their line. Yeah. You definitely need a fast pass for that one. Well, I've never gone when there's a super long line. I usually go like at night, like before the park closes, like before, maybe even during fireworks. When did we go? I don't know. I, I don't, I've never stood in a long line for them. I've always seen the wait line being like long whenever I wanted to like go meet people, but I always got a fast pass and it wasn't too bad. And they're pretty easy to get fast passes for. Maybe that's how yeah. I did it every time just because they're so easy to get them for. All right. And our last question that we talk about in this section is, what would the world look like without the character? I will say she did have an impact for brown-skinned little girls because she gave them someone that looked like them. So that is a very, very important thing that she did do for that community. And I appreciate it as well. But on the flip side of that, they also harmed the community when the film was first released and then they were like, hey, this is actually super racist. And then Disney was like, yeah, you're kind of right. Let's change some of the lyrics and then re-released it with the open song being changed. Yeah, I just realized we never talked about any of the controversies. <laughs> but we're doing that now. <laughs> they did cause harm while also empowering the little girls. Because the little girls aren't thinking like, wow, this is really stereotypical. And like how like, wow. They just called us barbaric. It's the adults that realize that. So it's not good for the culture, but it's good for the little kids, I guess. But it's also teaching the little kids that these are okay things to say about their culture, which was totally wrong. Yeah, and the fact that she was voiced by a white woman didn't really matter as much back then. Disney has, you know, recently made a stand and say... Yeah, we're going to be more thoughtful with how we cast our characters in regard to the culture that we're representing and storytelling with. But yeah, back then, no one really cared <laughs> as far as the studio. And the people didn't really look into like the voice actors because the internet was just becoming a thing. So it wasn't like people were just Googling, oh, who's Linda Larkin? Yeah. It was just she was Linda Larkin and she did the voice of Jasmine. Like That was it because <laughs> this was 1992. Another thing about the voices is that Aladdin and Jasmine, and Sultan, Jafar, like they all have like pretty normal accents, like stereotypical ones you'd hear in a movie. But all the like mean guys like the um like the security people the guards they mm -hmm. all had like an accent and it just made it look like oh like if you have an accent you're not a good person so anyone who's grown up in that culture and has an accent is now being looked at as a bad guy so that's another negative thing that the film has done not the first to do it but it just helps push it even further into cemented into brains yeah, and they ended up having to change the opening song, um, but they didn't even change it enough to satisfy the people that called them out on it. So that's awkward. Yeah. And then another controversy was with their contract with Robin Williams, which we kind of alluded to earlier, but we didn't really explain. So Robin Williams and his contract, and this is pretty well known, so like probably most people know this, but I know my friend Joe... <laughs> that's listening hi joe thank you for your support robin williams had in his contract when he signed on with disney that they weren't allowed to use his voice for anything else like any other promotional material or like dolls uh, action figures and stuff like that and they didn't want them to like do literally anything else with his voice except for this one feature feature length film but guess what 
Disney was like, <laughs> nah, fam, you're our, this is our stuff. Like, we have rights to it. We can do whatever we want. We can distribute it however we want. And they did. And Robin Williams was very, very, very upset. Because, I mean, technically, by law, they were within their rights because they didn't change the contracts like they should have. But they broke their, the word that they weren't going to sell out on his voice. So, I can see why they did it just because like disney is very like money hungry sometimes but they shouldn't have broken their word with someone who's very well known and would have drawn in more people if they could have worked with him again and so so that's why he wasn't in like the aladdin sequels or the aladdin tv show but it also they didn't apologize for this breach of contract until they changed studio heads from um i forget their names but i have the resources pulled up somewhere it doesn't matter though uh, they changed studio heads and the new studio head did issue an apology to robin williams but he still like never worked with them again so didn't really matter (laughs) once you burn the bridge it's hard to rebuild it yeah because then he spent years like bashing disney so you know it's whatever (laughs) so yeah going back to the question about what would the world look like without the character uh i feel like there's more negatives going along with this question than positives so we could remove this from their repertoire and add in another person that fits this culture but in a positive spin like the character or like the whole movie either one like scrap the whole movie like The soundtrack is really good, but like all the bad things that it's brought forward, it's it's not worth all the harm that they've caused. So like they harm the actors, they harm the culture, like too much. So like if they scrap all of the Aladdin film and then they decide to like make something different or even keep the story of Aladdin, but this time work with the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee. But if they worked with them instead of partially working with them to rewrite a song, just do the whole movie and be like, hey, does this does this highlight your culture in a positive way? And then they wouldn't have so many issues. I mean, still don't pull that that stuff on uh, Mr. Williams. Like, don't go back on your word, but just like be kind people when they made this film. Right. And I think that it would have had a better impact. Well, I mean, I can understand like monetarily why they did it because they they had released this movie like it was in the theaters and then this group came up to them and said hey this is offensive and they're like oh okay well what can we do to fix it and they came up with a solution and then disney kind of met them half like a fourth of the way because they met halfway and then disney like kind of met a quarter of the way and fix some of it but not all of it but like it was already out in the world and so they couldn't exactly like just redo the film because the studio is in the middle of a revival and they'd almost died like three times <laughs> so it's like it's, it's very difficult to in a perfect world yeah they would have taken the whole movie down redone it cast proper actors and you know correct skin tones and accents wouldn't be offensive but it, it was <laughs> 1992 so it's just it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, in that in 1992, like people were concerned about like making sure cultures are represented right, but definitely not as much as it is now. So like if they release this now, I feel like they get a lot more backlash, kind of like what they did with the live action. Like, well, yeah. they fixed things, but they got a lot of backlash. I feel like they would have even more if the original 
came out well, when next, the next, live action did. In the next episode, when we talk about Pocahontas, that's definitely a big, big, big thing that they they didn't learn from this mistake, yeah. which is just crazy because it they it, there's no excuses for doing it again. Like this one, like I'm not forgiving it because it's not my place to forgive, but I can understand how yeah. they like couldn't fix this because it was already done basically. But with Pocahontas, they literally just did the same exact mistake, and it's just it, it's it is unforgivable. Yeah, because one thing to make a like make a big mistake like this, and then learn from it, but totally different to make a big mistake with this and then repeat it, but even worse. Yeah, like it's like today's influencers keep messing up. <laughs> but American Girl doll did it right. I mean, when they did their Native American doll. They actually went and asked all the different tribes until they found one that said, yes, like you can study our culture and we'll review your books before you send them out to make sure that they represent us well. So everything like down to like the details on the outfit, the storylines, details, everything was approved by them and represents them positively. So as much as we want to keep a positive light on the thing that we enjoy, we will call them out on things like this when it just doesn't make sense as to why they made the same mistake twice. Like, we, literally just for the money, and that's not really okay at all. <laughs> like, I still love Disney, but they definitely have some dark past. <laughs> it only gets darker. They have a dark future, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From 1992 forward, the it gets really bad, especially when you talk about the merchandise and being made in sweatshops. And in and, and two weeks, when we talk about Mulan, that one's... But it is what makes deal. this so interesting, reading about it. Because this is stuff that, like, I would never think about. Not on the regular, anyways. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It doesn't sit in the forefront of our minds. Well, especially, like, as a female white person, like, I just... I don't think about this stuff. So, looking into the history and, like, looking into, like, how things have, like, impacted the cultures and everything. It just brings everything to light. Because I knew that parts of this were racist, but I didn't realize, like, how much or that they, like, kind of fixed things, but not really. So, I right. think that's really interesting thinking about this stuff. Yeah, it is. And, and what we can do as people is recognize what they did know that it is wrong and do better for ourselves and I think that's the biggest takeaway from this mistake that they made is that we as fans can learn from it even if the studio didn't and I think that is a perfect place to end this podcast thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time goodbye thank you for listening to Disney A History be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. For further discussions, join us on our Reddit. For bonus content, you can find us on TikTok and YouTube. See you real soon! <laughs>